the Executive Girlfriends Group. This is your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good morning. We are broadcasting live from the Miami Book Fair, and it is my pleasure to introduce Raina Grand. Raina, welcome. Thank you. We are broadcasting live from the Miami Book Fair, so it's a tiny bit noisy uh, versus our normal interview style. But, Raina, I'm so glad that we were able to get together. And you said you live in Los Angeles? Yeah, I do. I I have lived in L.A. for 27 years now, so it's been a very long time that I live there. Different areas. uh Uh-huh. Well, your story begins actually in Mexico, and uh, actually you were born the year that I graduated from high school, which uh, <laughs> made it easy for me to remember. Um, and and you were born, uh, were you the only child? I, no, I was the youngest of three. Ah, okay. Yeah, I was, well, when, when I was born, it was in 1975, and then... Um, in 1977, my father came to the U.S. to yes. live for work. So I was only two years old when he came here. Uh-huh. So you really didn't even know him. I didn't. I well, didn't. then that makes a lot of sense in, in the transition as he went to the U.S. to make a life for the family. And then your mother went second. Yes, my mother left in 1980 when I was four uh-huh. and a half. And did she take your siblings with no, her? No, she, she left us, all okay. of us. Okay. So you stay with your grandmother. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I think... To me, I mean that that was the hardest the hardest moment mm-hmm. of my life losing my mom because yes. you know my memories didn't include my father he was already gone right. but to lose my mom to me was really devastating uh-huh. and then also because I think most kids they they don't lose like one parent to right. the U S but when you lose both I think that's right. definitely a lot harder. And we were left with our grandmother, who did not really want us in her house, and so we were we were definitely left in a household where we were made to feel like you know we were this mm-hmm. unwanted burden. Um, so to me, that was really hard to to be in that situation and right. and to be afraid, you know, be afraid of being forgotten by my parents. Right. And like six months after my mother came here, she she got pregnant. So then. You know, there was a new baby made in the USA, and then we thought, oh, my God, they're replacing us. So we grew up with a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And also the memories of the four-and-a-half-year-old aren't very clear either. So even your memories of your mother must have been somewhat skewed as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, to me, even like in, in, in the memoir, I write a lot about my older sister, and mm-hmm. she takes such a prominent role in my childhood because... When my mother left, she asked my sister to take care of us. So, so mm. she she um, she became my little mother. You know, basically mm. she gave up her childhood to take care of me and take care of my brother. And as the oldest, she knew exactly what we were in for, and right. she knew what the situation was. And and in many ways, she tried to protect us from it. So right. I think I I was very lucky that I didn't really get the brunt of that. That she was the one. Right. Who who was my buffer, you know, and um, but also I think now as adults, I think she's the one that that suffers a lot more than uh, than I do, like emotionally. And Raina, did you learn English uh, before you came to the states, or you came? Oh no, I English? I didn't speak a word of English when I oh. came here, and it was really frightening, you know, when I started school because. On my first day of school, like I think most parents would tell their children, "Good luck, have a good day at school." And what my dad told us was, "You better not tell anyone you're here illegally, 
or you can kiss this country goodbye. Oh. So it's like sending us out fear. to school with fear. You know, it's like, what am I going to say? Can I even open my mouth to say anything because I might say something I shouldn't say? And then, of course, I didn't speak English, so that was another thing that, that I was afraid of when I started school, that not being able to communicate. Mm -hmm. And the school that I went to, unfortunately, didn't have um, ESL, you know, English as a Second Language. Right. We didn't have, like, a dual language immersion mm -hmm. program. What part of L.A. It was It was Highland Park, which is northeast Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and it's predominantly Latino. Yeah. There are a lot of immigrants there. But... Um, you know, when I started there in fifth grade, and now now the school does have a dual language immersion, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, but back then they didn't have that. And, and when I started school, basically the teacher just put me at a table in the corner, and that's where I was for fifth grade and sixth grade oh. in a corner. And those are brutal years to be a girl they, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, so like growing up with that stigma of being different, right? And um, and so that that was pretty hard. But once I got to junior high, we did have ESL there, mm -hmm. and and it was a really nice change to finally be in a classroom with other English learners, where mm -hmm. I didn't feel different. You know, right. we were all in the same boat. We were all trying to learn the language, and my teacher, I I would say he was a lot more, um, you know, kinder and more understanding about about who his students were and where they were coming from mm -hmm. and what their needs were. So that, w that was a really nice change. And, and by the time I got to eighth grade, I was in regular English classes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. Well, you were obviously a fast learner. So were your parents speaking any English at home or it was all Spanish? No, it was all Spanish. And my parents split up. So I grew up mostly with my dad. and. He he got he got remarried, so my stepmother spoke English, and she tried to help us at home, like you know, mm -hmm. speaking to us in English once in a while. But my father, he didn't speak a whole lot, but he had some words, you know. It was like very broken English, but he tried. Mm -hmm. And my mother was the one who never tried to learn. So even now, you know, she's been here for 27 years, and she still doesn't really know the language. Wow. Um, which makes it very hard for her sometimes, yeah. you know. And uh, but but I would say that you know my siblings and I we picked up the language very quickly, and and my older sister was the one who learned it faster than than me and my brother. And it's really interesting because usually it's the younger child that picks it up faster than the the older. Mm -hmm. The older you come, the harder it is for you to learn. Okay. But my older sister, she was 14 when we got here, and she picked it up right away, and she lost her accent too. Like she doesn't have an accent when she speaks English and uh -huh. I do. And my brother does too. Well but it's it, really interesting. Yours is, yours is very soft. Uh very, very yeah, I always say like I always say that I have I, I have a Mexican accent when I speak English and I have an American accent when I speak Spanish. <laughs> So in either language, I have an accent. <laughs> well, you do very, very well. well so, thank you. So, Rena, I know um, when you came to the U.S., uh, you had a father that you really didn't know, but you had built up some expectations in yes. your head, a picture of what he was going to be like, because the whole reason he left was to make a life for the family in the U.S., and so that creates a, a picture. Yeah, um, definitely my siblings and I had 
idealized my dad from far away. You know, we put him up on a pedestal. My sister would always tell us that my dad was going to be our hero, that he was going to come and save us and rescue us from our situation. And so we romanticized the idea of this missing father, you know. And when we came to live with him, um, I don't know if it was his experience in the U.S. that changed him or if maybe that's the way he was the whole time because, I mean, I didn't grow up with him in my early years, so I really don't know what kind of man he was before he came here. But when we came to live with him in the U.S., he he was very emotionally detached from us, and I could definitely see, you know, the distance, you know, and, and the title of my memoir is The Distance Between Us, which at first refers to the physical distance, 2,000 right. miles, but then when we came to live with him, it's really more about that emotional detachment right. that that my father had, and, and it's that distance that we were not able to overcome because he no longer knew how to be a dad, and we had grown up and raised ourselves, basically, mm-hmm. right. that we didn't know how to have a dad, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was very domineering, and he, he also, um, he was a, a major, um, he was dealing with, like, alcoholism. Right. He had a very violent nature, which he inherited from his parents. So we were kind of familiar with that physical abuse because we had experienced that with my grandparents, whom we, we were mm-hmm. left with. But... For some reason, receiving that abuse from my father hurt us so much more mm-hmm. because he was supposed to be our hero, you know? Right. And never in our imagination when we, when we like, thought of him did we ever think of him being this man who would be, like, physically abusing us all the time. Right, and angry. Yeah, and he, he, was, he, was, very, he was very angry and... We wouldn't really be able to have conversations with him. Like, he was just not open to talking to us. And um, so definitely, I think I think for me, that was the hardest moment, you know, to realize that the man we had dreamed about for so many years was not was not that father. Right. And for, for many, you know, I, I would think about how both my, my mother and father they came to the U.S., they crossed the border illegally. I mean, I did too. Right. And I would always think, I wonder if my real parents are still stuck there in the border, oh. you know? Like, I was always waiting for them to come oh. back to me. And neither of them really came back to me because they were so different from what I had imagined. Right. And, you know, my father was different. My mother was very indifferent too. And and her experience, you know, she really changed a lot from when she left Mexico because my mother came here. She left us behind to follow her husband north when he sent for her to save her marriage, to make sure that he didn't leave her for someone else. Right. And and yet he did end up leaving her for someone else two years after she got here. And that experience, like, I think it made her very bitter, and she didn't want to be a mom to us anymore. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, one of the, the, the things that I write about in my memoir is how immigration just took a, took a toll on right. my whole family, how it changed us, how it, it broke up our relationship, and right. how we were really never able to overcome those changes that came about right. because of, of our immigrant experience. 
and and then you know and, and there were many levels of distance that I talk about mm-hmm. and one of you know one of the things like I talk about is also like how my siblings and I um drew um further apart from them once we we assimilated we learned the language right. we you know went to school we you know, went to college, all of these things that my parents never got to do. Mm-hmm. Like, those were, like, experiences that continued to, like, increase that gap between So those us. were your escapes. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about the first novel that you wrote, Across a Hundred Mountains, because uh, as I was reading through your, your blog and various information on your website, it talked about how you really wanted to tell your story all along. But first of all, your father was still living. And yes. And then he, yes. he has passed on. But... He was still living at that time, and you wrote it uh, from a distance. Yeah, well, when I started writing my first novel, I was a junior at UC Santa Cruz. I was uh, majoring in creative writing, and one of our requirements for our senior project was to write either a novel or a collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. And I started to write this book, and what I really wanted to write was my memoir. You know, I wanted right. to write about my experience of being in Mexico without my parents. And I wanted to write about that in particular because a lot of Im- the books about immigration, like whether they're novels or nonfiction, they're always about the immigrants who come here, the obstacles they face here, right. and all these things. But but nobody was addressing the family, the family that 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 gets left behind. And to me, it was such an it was an experience that that really affected me so much Mm -hmm. that I wanted to see it on a book. I wanted to see people writing about it, people talking about it, you know, becoming aware of it. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I'm going to write this book. And so I wanted to write about my own experience, and and that's what I set out to write. But then... You fictionalized it. it. (laughs) Well, at first I didn't. At first it was about me and my siblings Uh and everything that happened. But then... It got so painful. It was extremely painful, and I didn't have enough writing skills to to get past that mm-hmm. that brick wall of pain. And but you so, had a good advisor so, at that time who stepped in. Well, um, my my teacher, uh, she she actually came in before that. Like she was mm-hmm. the one who encouraged me to write. And, yeah, so when I was writing the book, I ended up fictionalizing it just so that I could take a step away from it and detach myself enough where where I could write it. And I I got rid of the younger siblings, and I kept the oldest um, sibling, which was my sister, and I kept her as um, as my main character. And then I changed the story around where, you know, when the father leaves, he actually disappears, and people, nobody knows what happened to him. And so the story is really about this young girl whose father comes here to work, and he leaves um, her and, and her mother behind. And the family just faces some some really difficult um, difficult moments because they don't know what happened to him. And the mother um, becomes an alcoholic eventually because she thinks her husband has abandoned her and forgotten about her. And it's really about this girl's journey of like trying to keep her family from falling apart and trying to find her her missing father to bring him back home. So even though the premise is the same, you know, with the father leaving the right. family, everything else is pretty different right. in terms of the plot. Well, except for he did disappear. 
Yeah, well, in yeah, many ways. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, my father did disappear, and um, the, the one you thought you knew. Yes, and and that's where it comes from. And it, and it's you know it's it's really interesting because my books, like not just my first novel, but my second novel also, and then of course the memoir, they're all about the the absent parents. Yeah. There's always like either a missing father, a missing mother. And then there's siblings that get separated, mm-hmm. and, and I write a lot about that, you know, about family separation, because that's what I grew up with, you right. know, and that's what I have known, and, and um, it's something to, that has really defined me in many ways, and when I write about it, it really helps me to, to understand it, you know, like to come to terms with it. Right. But even as you were writing The Distance Between Us, you, you wrote, uh, I think in one of your blogs, that uh, there was a point when you actually didn't want to publish it because it, it was so graphic about your father and he was still living. And and then during during that process, he passed away. And then did that give you the, the freedom then to, to move forward? Because I know yeah. it still had to yes. be painful. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, because what happened was that when my father got diagnosed with liver cancer, and this was due to his drinking, I was writing the second half of the memoir, which is all about him. You know, it's mm-hmm. about me coming to the U.S. to live with this man. Right. And I was writing about a period in his life when he was an alcoholic, when he was physically abusive, when he was going through a lot of dark moments. Right. But he was, but but now in the present, he was no longer that father. You know, and right. and. And I guess age had mellowed him out. Um, his his illness had humbled him, and so he was very different from that father that right. I was writing about. Mm-hmm. And what was really hard for me was having to relive those awful moments and 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 all that that anger and the pain and the resentment would would have to come out again to the surface. And then that same day, after I had written, like, this really painful scenes, I would go see him at the hospital. Right. And then I would, like, have to stop outside the door and and tell myself, this is not the father anymore. Right. Don't go in there with your hatred and your anger and all your reproaches, you know. Just don't do that. So then, like, I really had to, like, like, bury everything again. I had to bury all those emotions again so that I could come and see him and and be nice, you know, and be there for him. So after doing that for a while, it just got so, so draining Mm -hmm. to have to do that. And then I said, I think I need to stop writing this memoir. I don't know if I can do it, you know. And then um, when he passed away, I guess in, in, in many ways he did kind of, free me up a little to start writing it, you know, and mm-hmm. to finish it. Right, right. Because he was gone, and also because, you know, when my father died, the minute my father died, all those ugly emotions that I still had with me, they died too. Uh-huh. They all died. And because, you know, you cannot be angry right. with the dead person, because at right. that point, you're just hurting yourself. Exactly. And when my father died, I said, I'm going to let all of that negative stuff die with him, and I am just going to keep all the good things. Right. And and that's why, like, to me, like, when I think of my dad, it's, it's this bittersweet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, feeling that I have because 
I, I think about those happy moments, but then there's also that part of me that wishes that we could do it all over again and do it differently, yeah. you know, do it differently. Yes, but you did get to the U.S., so what's next for Raina in the last couple of minutes? Uh, well, right now, I uh, I have three novels in my head, so I'm going to go back to fiction, uh-huh. and I've been thinking a lot about which one I really want to write, because I, I need to be, like, really committed to it. And because I have three three stories right now in my head, I'm 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 weighing the pros and cons of each, and then right. once I decide which one it is that I really want to do, that's the one I'll start writing. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's just been inspiring to hear your story and pushing through that pain and the catharsis of of writing and uh, getting past it. I think it's a, a lovely story that you were able to to let the pain go, and even though you do have to relive it somewhat in telling your story, uh, again in the book as you do your interviews, um, it's making you stronger. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it was delightful to meet you, and uh, thank you for thank taking you. your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the book fair. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's well, it's a wonderful book fair. I, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Well, good. It's my first year, but I'm hoping it won't be my last. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Terrific. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this interview with Raina Grand, award-winning novelist and sought-after public speaker. This eye-opening memoir about her life before and after legally immigrating from the Mexico to the United States is called The Distance Between Us. To learn more about Raina, see www.rainagrand.com. R-E-Y-N-A-G-R-A-N-D-E dot com. This has been Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. To learn more about us, see www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. The music on today's program is brought to us by Gabrielle Allen from her CD, No Inhibition. Thanks for joining us.